Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. It says this, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Yohanai and Yambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. The Lord be with you, Solari Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. We are halfway through our sermon series on 2 Timothy that we're calling Entrusted. This is Paul's final will and testament entrusted to Timothy, who's leading the church in Ephesus. Today, we're only looking at the first nine verses of chapter 3, but they go for the jugular. There's no gentle way to look at this passage, so if something that Paul writes here is hard to hear, hard to take in, don't be alarmed. I'll summarize our time today like this. Form kills, but the truth will set you free. Form kills, but the truth will set you free. We'll parse apart what that means a little later, but first I want to talk about Michigan. I lived in Michigan for seven years. I love Michigan. The world's modern transportation system owes a debt of gratitude to the great state of Michigan. Your pickups and SUVs are all, for the most part, made there. The best college on planet Earth is there. Most importantly, Michigan is the birthplace of the greatest woman that I'll ever know. Michigan is one of the few states that still decides national elections. It's diverse in people and thought. My first three and a half years were spent in a town called Ann Arbor. It's a lot like Berkeley, California. Being a Christian in Ann Arbor is not the norm. If you go to church on a Sunday morning, it is highly unlikely that you're there because there is a cultural or familial expectation forcing you to go. If you're there, it's probably because you want to be there. People can be openly antagonistic towards Christians in Ann Arbor, which I always actually found rather invigorating, but at the end of the day, you know where you stand. The gospel stands out, and so Christians stand out too. Holland, Michigan, is a different story. I lived in Holland for three years, and for the first time in my life, experienced what sociologists and missiologists call cultural Christianity. Church attendance in Holland is expected. There's cultural and familial pressure for folks to go to church. 
It's not too hard to be a Christian in Holland, Michigan. There's a church on every corner, as they say, particularly of the Reformed and the Christian Reformed variety. There's even an eighth Reformed church in Grand Rapids. But all this means that the distinction between those who follow Jesus and those who don't can be a little blurry. A common phrase you'll hear is Christian by association. I'm a Christian because two-thirds of the people on my block are. If someone goes to church on a Sunday in Holland, the reasons that they're there can be difficult to pinpoint. Now, it became personally beneficial to become a Christian 1,700 years ago when Emperor Constantine became one himself. Suddenly, being in step with the emperor was a driving force behind people converting to the faith in droves. The demand for baptism was so high that discipleship was put on the back burner, catechism became a formality, and it became difficult to figure out who had become a Christian in service of their own well-being and who had become a Christian, literally meaning little Christ, in service of Christ himself. This is a slippery slope. Human beings naturally want things to go the way we want them to go. Adam and Eve were afraid they were deprived, and so they did the only thing that God told them they couldn't do. And we are their children, and we've inherited their tendencies. Christianity shows us that those tendencies are actually what sent Jesus to the cross. See, living for Christ and living for ourselves cannot coexist. In a place like Ann Arbor, for instance, this distinction is clear. But in Holland, Michigan, and in the Central Valley, this distinction becomes a little cloudy. And this is what it is. I don't want to belabor this point, but it becomes dangerous when we are taught and begin to believe that living for Christ and living for ourselves don't have to be distinct at all. This is Paul's warning. The most severe that we've seen so far. He, write, he starts by writing, There will be terrible times in the last days, and proceeds to list off a bunch of characteristics that are not only wildly prevalent in our world today, but are blatantly encouraged. Let me know if this sounds familiar. You can only really love others if you first love yourself. Not only is financial wealth the key to happiness, you deserve it, and God wants you to have it. Boast, post, and tweet about all your accomplishments. You're awesome. Be proud that you didn't turn out like those other people who are over there while you turned out as wonderfully as you did right here. Be free. Let loose. Throw off the shackles of responsibility and do what makes you happy. And don't let anyone tell you any differently. Timothy is living the last days just like we are. The last days began with Christ entering into the world, intensified with his resurrection, and continue until he returns. We should not be surprised when Paul's warning to Timothy, a warning he wrote between 64 and 67 AD, seems to describe our world today. The last days are just as upon us now as they were upon Paul and Timothy then. Now, all 19 of these qualities are sort of lumped together in, the, in verses 2 to 4, but when our staff reflected on this passage earlier this week, our eyes gravitated towards verse 5. 
says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. The Greek for form here is morphosis. It means appearance, semblance. Other translations say they will maintain the outward appearance. They'll be this close. They'll walk the walk and they'll talk the talk, but in reality, they'll be an infinitesimal distance away from the truth. When speaking about people who openly oppose the gospel in chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, Paul wrote, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. See, opponents must be gently instructed. It's diplomatic. It's a hopeful thing. But what does Paul say about those folks in chapter 3 who have a, quote, form of godliness but deny its power? What does he say about those who walk the walk and talk the talk who are this close to hitting the nail on the head? He says, have nothing to do with such people. Have nothing to do with such people. Opponents are to be gently instructed, but these people, the ones who say living for Christ and living for yourself don't have to be mutually exclusive, have nothing to do with such people. Here's an example. The self-help section of the bookstore is a fascinating place. Losing weight, career advancement, relationship advice are all commonly found there. And so are other books that usually involve a single-digit number of keys or steps to take for a fulfilling life. Here are a couple different descriptions from a couple different books. Quote, Seven simple yet profound steps to help you discover your purpose and destiny and includes key biblical principles, devotions, and personal testimonies that will uplift and enlighten. As you incorporate these key principles into your life, you will be amazed by how much more God has in store for you. Here's another. This book presents insightful, God-given wisdom that invites readers to finally understand what it means to access God's abundance. There is a time and season for everything, Offering keys to victory for anyone hungry for God's power, thirsty for God's presence, or eager for success in every area of life. Now, in both descriptions, there are two actors, you and God. In these descriptions, which actor is the subject and which actor is the object? The subject, well, that's you. The object that will give you what you want, well, that is God. I don't want to be mean-spirited here. I I really, really don't. I talked about this with my wife. This is a tough passage, and so I'm not going to tell you who wrote these books or what they're called. But the reality is that this is precisely what Paul is warning against. The gospel is not about our success. It is not about our health and wealth. God is not a vending machine for what we want. Paul says in Galatians 2, 19 and 20, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. 
I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Later on in Galatians 5.24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Jesus says in Luke 9.23, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. See, we can live for ourselves or we can live for Christ, but the Bible does not allow us space to have both. See, just because something looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, does not mean it's a duck. This is why Paul is so blunt about having nothing to do with someone who is selling you a mud hen, telling you it'll waddle and quack. It will not. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy and telling us. People who are openly opposed to the Christian faith are not pretending that their belief corresponds with the truth of the gospel. They're not pretending to be something they're not. And that's fine. Go towards them. Love them. Show them the love of God poured out for the world in Christ's blood on the cross. But anyone who puts on the form of of godliness, who says all the right things, but denies the power of the gospel, somehow making the gospel about us using God and not the other way around, that person is dangerous and is to be avoided completely. That way leads away from God and towards death. Always learning absorbing more and more, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. See, TCC form kills. And as the finish line is in sight, I want to spend the rest of our time to take, taking a look at the last two verses of our passage. Verse 8 says, Just as Yohanai and Yambrace opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. If you don't recognize these names, that's normal. You won't find them in the Bible. These names were known in early Christian tradition as the magicians that Pharaoh summons to try to go toe-to-toe with Moses in the book of Exodus. The story goes like this in Exodus chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptians, uh, the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. 
See, reality always conquers illusion. Deep roots are always more reliable than shallow ones. Substance is more fulfilling than appearance. The truth will always overcome mere form. The snakes, the magicians conjured up, are illusions in relation to the reality of God. And so too are the teachings of those who have the form of godliness but deny its power, who state that we can live for ourselves and for Christ. It's simply not true. C.S. Lewis puts it best as we wrap up. He wrote this in Mere Christianity. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new life instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours. Living the life that these self-help books say we can have, living a life of freedom and fulfillment and purpose, is actually only possible by losing that life completely. He will not let us live for ourselves and for him. Truth is that we only find ourselves once we lose ourselves in him. Nothing else will do. I have nothing to do with anyone who says otherwise, because TCC form kills, but the truth will set you free. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.